Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we're the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, doubters, and everyone in between. Hello. Hey. Um, I, I I was thinking about this morning how uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about I was being clickbaited with time travel stories. Oh, yeah, there's tons of them. People on TikTok. Yeah, it's it slightly shifted for me this week. Maybe there's some algorithm thing going on. I'm just getting kind of asteroids passing close to Earth type stories now. Oh, yeah, 2046 or something, or 2043. Yeah, is there one that's going to be between the moon and the Earth? Or I, I, I don't know. I, I, I keep getting them. I keep getting them. So I don't know what I've done to kind of shift my algorithms or whether everybody's getting them so every time i see something like that when it's in the 2040s or 2050s i just do the maths back and go how old will i be i'm like "Eh." i'm not too worried i'm not not too worried they're like yeah maybe i will just have that extra burger it'd be fine at least i'll miss the asteroid well everyone knows you can divert an asteroid with a aerosmith power ballad anyway that's (laughs) and and what a lovely way to do it (laughs) yeah exactly um uh, yeah, and and um, I was looking at clickbait uh, this week because there's been uh, a lot of people have been talking about it's resurfaced. You mentioned it, and then I think somebody else has reposted something about it, um, saying that octopuses, for that is the correct term, I believe, it is, yep. are from outer space. Ah, and yes, they're alien creatures. And when you go into it, that isn't really what the scientists are saying. That's not really what they're saying. They say it could be. Yeah, they're saying it just... They just... Isn't it in the evolutionary scale, they just arrived very quickly? And they didn't leave any sort of ancestral remains behind them to their their evolution. That could be because they're quite squishy. They are. Well, Well, other squishy things do, don't they? But you told me, I think... That after you covered that episode and realised how clever they are, you won't eat octopus salad anymore. That, that's true. And there was a, weirdly you said this because there was a story on the radio this week about the first. I think it's in Italy, maybe the first commercial. Oh yes, octopus farm. It's that's awful, isn't it? That's yeah, really that, bad. That really kind of was like, oh no, I want to protest. You know, even though I'm a complete hypocrite. <laughs> Octopuses, that's a that's a that's a tentacle too far for me. Yeah, well they say they're as intelligent as cats, but then people would go, Well, so are pigs. So yeah, yeah. but I agree. I don't think it's a good idea at all. But that is it's an interesting sideline for what we're going to be talking about today, because we are going Same to way. be talking about that's the word. <laughs> um but I just so this what got me started on this wasn't really it wasn't the octopuses. It was I was reading um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy again because oh. it, every time I'm sort of feeling a bit stressed at work and stuff, and I, I have to do a lot of reading for work. And so when you find that you need to do leisure reading, it's quite difficult because you, you, your brain is just like, I'm so yeah. fed up of reading. But Hitchhiker, I can get into any time. Yeah. And I was at that bit. Do you remember the bit where Slarty Bartfast talks about how he designed the fjords of Norway to leave his um, his mark and he put his signature in a glacier. Do yes, you remember this yeah, bit? Yeah, 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 I do, I do. So that led me on to something which we did touch on before, but the idea that aliens have left a message for us somewhere on Earth. Or like a hidden message somewhere. Yes, a very hidden message. So I'm not wow. talking megaliths and pyramids and all of that. I mean in our bodies and I don't mean implants. Oh, interesting. So if we start with this from the New York Times in 2007, I guess there's loads of sources for this, but they have an article about um, how the human genome contains 750 megabytes of data. I think we probably all knew that. But they're talking about this junk DNA. Only 3% of that data goes into making up the 22,000 genes that make us what we are. So there's a lot left over, basically. 97% is this so-called junk DNA that looks, to all intents and purposes, like gibberish. And uh, they, in this article, call it, it's the dark matter of inner space. Wow. We don't know what it's saying, and with all, in all those megabytes, there's plenty of room for the imagination to roam, and I really liked that... Um, hmm 
the way that the the article have put that and uh, they also give brilliant context so if you put all of the king james bible together that would be five megabytes so right. you could easily squeeze a bible into your dna but not a high-res audio file no no not a high-res audio file you could put one of those early 2000 video clips filmed off a a nokia 3210 or something in there there's not enough megabytes to put an album of aerosmith power ballads out you could probably publish the sheet music that's true you then start delving in, and I think we probably... I knew the name, but I didn't know what he did. Francis Crick, he was the co-discoverer of the Double Helix. That's right, yeah. And he's now at a place called the Sulk Institute in San Diego. The Sulk? The, S-A-L-K. Oh, okay. He's not sulking. He's he's quite happy with uh, his discoveries. With his discoveries, yeah. In 1973, he suggested that Primitive Earth was infected with DNA broadcast through space by an alien species. And then, in an article in New Scientist, a gentleman called Paul Davis, who's a cosmologist at Arizona State University, wrote, So, might E.T. have inserted a message into the genomes of a terrestrial organism, perhaps by delivering carefully crafted viruses in tiny space probes to infect the host cell with a message-laden DNA? Mm. So that's a bit like uh, we touched upon with micro... um Microprobes a few weeks ago, didn't we? That's we did right. That, episode. that sounds very similar, but they have got the purpose of somehow kind of infecting our DNA or inserting themselves into a... It reminds me a bit, actually, of... that. That's almost the start of that movie Prometheus, isn't it? The Alien yeah. spin-off. Um, and that's sequel, prequel. It's neither of those. It's a spin-off, isn't it? But, yeah, that wasn't similar. something similar. They put something in the water supply that... Uh, Yeah, okay, wow. So I then came across, and this is from um, an actual scientific paper, which is subcategorized under the title as the wow signal of the terrestrial genetic code. Mm. And this is from 2017. And the authors are Vladimir uh, Sherbat. I practiced this before. (laughs) Wouldn't be a podcast by the quantum (laughs) mechanics without one. Vladimir Sherbach and Maxim Makakov. That's good. There we go. We don't need to say those names ever again. And they have tried to summarise the reason why this is such a a tempting place to look. And you'll have to just bear with, even if you don't understand what the words completely mean, you'll be able to get the meaning of it. So what they say is that the genetic code is a flexible mapping between... Condons. So those are sort of the structure of the nucleotide and it's uh, and the amino acids. It's the relationship between those. And there's a certain amount of flexibility there, which means that the code can be manipulated artificially. And that's something they've been looking into. And then they go on to explain that there are various elements to this, which mean that once the code is manipulated that it, the, uh, the manipulation will stay around forever. So it says the chances of such a mutation, and they reference the particular areas, the tRNA and AARS, is accompanied by corresponding mutations in coding genes all over the genome, resulting in, un- unalter- in unaltered proteins are vanishingly small, given that there are dozens of such condons in thousands of genes in a genome. So what they're doing is in scientific <laughs> I, terms, I tell you what, I'm glad you're going to explain that, because I just heard condons and just giggled. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped listening after that. I, I, it reminds me, do you remember on the pl- the policeman, the Sir Paul Condon, yeah, was yeah, on the news yeah, all the time, yeah, yeah. and every time I used to Paul. snigger under my yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as soon as you said condon, I stopped listening. So if you could just explain that for me again. Well, the very simple part of this, is what they're saying is it could be summed up in their sentence when they say the machinery of the genetic code experiences exceptionally strong purifying selection that keeps it unchanged over billions of years so so their argument is if somebody had done this insertion or something had done this insertion billions of years ago it would still be there it is it won't have dissipated which could explain why we're no longer using it it served its purpose maybe uh, or it's waiting to be discovered. Ooh, or, or it hasn't yeah. been activated yet. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Did, is, is there any idea of how it actually 
gets in. So, you know, like I was thinking in the Prometheus thing, it was in the water supply or does it, how does it work, do you know? It's a virus. It's a virus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's right. the that's the idea. And we'll get onto some of that. But we do know, we know, of course, that parts of our DNA are made up of viruses that once changed our course of evolution. Right. So we can still find traces of that. But the big trick is to find, well, the big trick here is to find the smoking gun, which shows that it comes extraterrestrially. Right. That's the big challenge. Or artificially, at least. Artificially, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, or it, no, it could, it could be naturally. It could have arrived on an asteroid. And oh, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll, oh, we'll get to that. But the, the important point about that paper is that they go through all of this idea about how the code is, once it's fixed... Um, although you can add to it, it's very difficult to change what was once there. And they conclude that our genetic code, to quote them, may have been invented outside the solar system already several billion years ago. So by that reckoning, and I don't understand this at all, so I I'm, I'm really am talking aloud, does that mean whenever our, whenever our DNA changes we just keep adding we never nothing ever disappears so it just our dna in some ways is getting bigger over time it's the only way i can describe yeah it. yeah yeah well i'm going to come on to a really interesting non-extraterrestrial case where we've just discovered something in our dna which okay. we didn't know before which kind of illustrates the longevity of these things right but um the net the next natural question um that everybody would be asking and including me was well, we should have a look at this junk DNA. We should we should decode it, shouldn't we? And indeed, that is happening. So um, in February 2017, the National Institute of Health announced a new grant funding for a nationwide project setting up five characterization centres, which uh, two will be in San Francisco, to study how these regulatory elements, I'm quoting from them, influence gene expansion and consequently cell behaviour. But what they're trying to do is go deep into what is in this junk DNA and how it might have un well unobserved consequences on the other three percent of our uh, of our DNA. Yeah, yeah. So so people are looking at it, but w from your question before, this comes from New Scientist, and um, this is this is a really fascinating piece of research which just just shows um, what you can get from DNA and. Uh, there's this whole article. This comes about after the um, genome um, mapping process. And they discovered that um, we knew that we mated with Neanderthals and Denisovans. But some new evidence points to the fact that in West Africa, we were procreating with an ancient form of human that scientists didn't even know existed. Wow. They've left their, their mark in the DNA. And we could tell where they come from but we don't know who those people were. They call it ghost DNA. So it was from the it was from um, extractions from people who live in Nigeria and Sierra Leone, and I love the way they call it signals. They found signals that there was an unknown ancestor in there. So I think we all know that like um, we are like I don't know so, sort of one percent Neanderthal. Right. Well, the, these people have got someone else in them, a ghost DNA. Right. So. Some of the population are more than 1%. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the ones I've met. <laughs> oh, I see you've been to Digcop. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Digcop people. It is true, though. Um, but the this, this idea of... So people trying to understand this junk DNA and making new discoveries, what we really want to do is find out what it is we're looking for in that junk DNA. Because we have no idea what does right. some alien dna look like and what it what might it encode so in, the, in your uh, example of this ghost dna from a uh, a different neanderthal tribe that we didn't know about that is in our dna if they can tell where it's come from do they know what that dna does or is that too much information to work out um it, it just forms part of their genetic code i'm right. afraid i didn't record enough information to, right. to know what it does but it informs part of who we they are, are just yeah. like how being one percent neanderthal inf yeah. neanderthal informs part of who we are yeah yeah um it does that but but the interesting thing is 
that they're using this research in that particular case that paper was all about um working out how homo sapiens came about right. and and all the ingredients that went into there looking down the evolutionary chain if you like yeah and then suddenly you find these things in the evolutionary chain that you had no idea about you can tell what they come from but you don't know who they right. come from right. and and what the relationship was so it's really intriguing that we were having you know we were having sexy cuddle time with neanderthals and then there was uh, this 50,000 years ago there was this other race of people and who knows was it a trading partnership was it we were sharing hunting it's like the the possibilities we'll never know but yeah. that's fascinating yeah it's fascinating but what we want to know is where where would these things come from and then this is this is where i sort of my eyes got wide because i found this is again another scientific paper from written by four scientists um largely from um the uk and it's entitled biological entities isolated from two stratosphere launches continued evidence for a space origin oh and there's pictures right so they talk about doing a collection in the stratosphere at heights of between 23 and uh 27 uh, kilometers high and how do they do that uh, balloons but we're going to come on because there's very a huge topical. difficulty with with yes very tip, tip, topical yeah there's a huge difficulty with this collection but what they say is the biological entities are have strange they call it um, morphology and they don't represent anything known of terrestrial uh, organisms so they said like you know what you would expect to find at that height could be for example pollen grass right other terrestrial organisms stirred up by high winds um stormy activity on earth and they check them against all of that and they cannot find any correlation and there's a third successful sampling trip and there's a picture of uh, this thing here that um i'll show you they describe this as an unusual gossamer-like biological entity, which again comes from 25 um, kilometers high. Mm. And again, I love, there's always, there's always a, a temptation here when you're dabbling on the realms of, well, this isn't quite woo, but it's unusual. They call this the ghost particle. And they say the surface of the gossamer is clearly wrinkled as if previously expanded. So they're talking about this being like a balloon type of um device it specifically evolved or created to 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 move you know to fly through a space a not saying space but a space do you think the organism went all right it's cold up here <laughs> <laughs> well they, they think it was inflated by a liquid or a gas and they think that it was perhaps attached to another part of an organism and acted as a flotation device really uh, yeah and again, wow. I love the, fa the fact that they have compared this biological entity, this BE, at length with human skin and, rather disgustingly, dandruff particles to make sure that it wow. wasn't contaminated in the lab. But they say, no, they're confident that the contamination is not a source of this biological entity. Can I just um, stop you here? Because I, I need to rewind just a little bit. So are they... Well, I guess we'll find out. You might, you might know, or might not. Are they saying that this thing is could be from a flotation device for a creature? Yes. That's twenty whatever seven I, kilometers up in our atmosphere. Or are they saying it's the remains of one that's happened to fall into our atmosphere? They think it's the remains of one, but they don't know whether it's the full. I think creature is a strong word. The full right. entity, the full by well, I think biological entity because it's kind of is it a bacteria? They're Mi not so it's sure. microscopic. We're not talking about no, oh no, 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 no. Um, what you're going to see here, you'll see there's a scale on there, and that little marker is one millionth of oh okay a meter. So it's very right. very okay. it's very small. But you can see how it looks like a deflated balloon. Yeah, it does. Because I, 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 I was thinking maybe it wasn't a Chinese balloon the Americans shot down. It was one of these poor creatures <laughs> that had just flown in for a bit. 
Yeah. And... But we're talking microscopic. We're talking microscopic. And the this is not... This is not cod science. This is not weirdness. This is um, collections of um, particles which have been isolated and biology is found in there. Right. And they're very keen to point out that you don't always get this. You sometimes get micrometeorites and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And you get pollen and you get... Um, you get dead plankton, you get all sorts of stuff. But this but, is very particularly different. But, but talking of meteorites, it could have, I guess the theories could be, it could have come into the atmosphere on a meteorite or some remains that were on a meteorite yeah. or something like that. It could have come on a meteorite. Yeah. It could have just floated through space. Yeah. It could be surviving in the atmosphere for many billions yeah, of years. Yeah, it could have just been up there forever. They don't know. Yeah. Does but, that sorry, that's an interesting thing. Does that mean if it if it could survive up in the atmosphere for millions and millions of years, does that mean there could be bits of dinosaurs up there as well? Um yeah, possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Wow, that'd be interesting to find. But it? but the, the there's um there's quite a lot written about how very difficult it is to do the the genome analysis on these things because you have to not only collect them intact but you have to have the funding to do that genome yeah. analysis and there is another paper which has been you know it talks specifically about collecting these things in such a good condition that they can be analyzed i'm thinking it's probably even harder now isn't it can you imagine approaching any government now and saying we've got this idea we want to go 27 miles up uh, and we want to collect all this stuff which could be kind of alien uh, biological material. Okay, how are you going to do that? We want to send a balloon up. No, we're not doing balloons anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Forget it. Not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, th this paper is proposing many different ways which which um, this stuff could be not balloon based. Collected. Well, it is largely balloon -based. largely balloon based. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They got a problem there because it's they? it's the simplest way of doing it. Yeah. Um, because they need to prove this hypothesis. But. This paper talking about the um, the different methods uh, that could be used. It then has a brilliant section on direct evidence of microbial fossils in meteorites. Mm, I like that. And they're talking about the um, these structures are identifiable and recognisable as bacteria, uh, eukary eukaryotic cells. I'm not sure what those are, and viruses. <laughs> And I think I think eutrotic cells definitely need condoms. Eukerotic. <laughs> oh yeah, they still need condoms. They still, <laughs> I I I need voice lessons with, with all these things. But um, these are for these are found or reported in carbonaceous meteorites and have been done so over a number of decades. And they've got some pictures. But before I show you the pictures, <laughs> this one really stood out. Um, the, in the pictures that I'm about to show you, it says the morphology, or rather the morphological represent, uh, resemblance of the virus-like carbonaceous structure identified by Plug, who's one of the scientists, is astoundingly similar to the coronavirus. Really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, he's talking about... Um, I'll show you this picture here. This one here. So it's a bit scary. It's it, it kind of like it's a it's a kind of wiggly worm with a kind of bag on the end. Yeah, yeah. Again, very very tiny. Yeah. Um, one millionth of a meter, probably times I don't know six something like that. Very right. very small. Right. But it, so that, is that a virus then? That well, they don't know because right. they they are um, they just resemble. Viruses is what he's saying. Right. But you remember when I did the episodes on plagues being brought from outer space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he is not suggesting that by any means. He's not saying, oh, they, this is how they come to Earth. But suddenly it doesn't seem so mad, does yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, what they talk about is that um, it's very difficult to prove these things and you can't predict where a meteorite might land so the the just the sheer ability to collect right. all the material you would need to make a valid case that that is what these really are you can't just go on one or two cases 
it's really difficult. And they're talking... That this is why it appears in this paper of um, methods, mm. because they're talking about methods of identifying these um, these meteorites so it can be analysed. And, and I mean, I guess that obviously the science says that if it's on a meteorite, it can survive the vacuum space, by the sounds of it. That's right, that's right. Yeah. But the... Um, uh, so this is this this is by the scientist uh, who writes at the end of this uh, a guy called Steele. Uh, this is from 2019. He says the crucial data to clinch clinch this shift, which is the uh, the understanding that um, biology is coming in from outer space, must come from the results of experiments such as we have discussed here, involving the discovery. Oh, sorry, the recovery of microbes of space origin and by establishing such an origin beyond a shadow of a doubt. In this way, we would conclude that the evolution of life takes place not just within a closed biosphere on our minuscule planet, but extends over a vast and connected volume of the cosmos. Mm. And that is panspermia. That is what that theory is. That is the reason why aliens in Star Trek have five fingers, because we have uh, a common thread of dna seeding across the entire well not universe maybe but at least solar system well there is that theory isn't there that life did spread from mars and then just we were we were in the better goldilocks zone do you know what i mean where where mars kind of lost its atmosphere there was some transfer even over time that we could have been living simultaneously um but yeah, okay, that's really interesting. But yeah, that would suggest that it life could be spread on an enormous scale, just accidentally. An enormous scale, yeah, yeah. 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 And when it finds, it's it's like scattering seeds indiscriminately as you walk down a country road. Yeah. And where it finds the right connection to a fertile ground, water, sunlight, and lack of predators who are going to eat the seed, life forms. Well, I mean, that's basically how most reproduction works, doesn't it, on some form or another? Yeah, yeah. 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 And then, intriguingly, because I thought, well, maybe this was a mad idea that kind of was on the fringes, because there's a lot of, as you would imagine, there's a lot of scientists who like aren't necessarily jumping to embrace this yeah but it becomes more and more mainstream um this from forbes in 2019 and uh it's subtitled could the microbes that surround us actually be encoded with interstellar messages from some far-flung race of space aliens so this topic was tackled in a speech by robert zubrin at the university of california at berkeley uh, and uh, it's called uh, in a session called Breakthrough Discuss 2019. And he goes deeper into the subject and talks about whether these things are launched intentionally or unintentionally mm. and speculates that bacteria could travel interstellar distances and potentially seed the universe with whoever encrypted them. And there's various different ways that we sort of have a little bit of evidence that this might happen. So we probably all know that there's bacteria on the outside of the ISS that uh, that has lived there. Mm. Bacteria that we accidentally took to the moon survived for five and a half months on the moon. Mm. Um, and he talks about then, well, you don't just have to imagine it surviving. You have to make it uh, replicate even in the vast uh, sort of timeline that a bacteria could live, it will still need to replicate. And he says, that isn't going to be necessarily a problem. But then you start thinking, well, how does it get here? And he says, well, his idea is that um, they make... uh, So you know how stars, obviously they have an outflow of photons and you can have a sail to catch those, you know, literally Mm. star sailing. Yeah. He's sort of speculating that what we're seeing there in that balloon, in that piece of bacteria, that's a star sail. Just a that, small one. Just a small one. Yeah, wow. but you you only need yeah, yeah, a small yeah. one. And whether that has been artificially made or that has been evolved to, to do that, you can just catch those interstellar winds yeah. Yeah. and you can do it. The other way, he says, is you could uh, magnetise a colony 
And he says, in that way, I don't fully understand that he doesn't kind of go into all the reasons why it would work. But he said, if you magnetize the bacterial colony, you could create a magnetic sail, which would take you through the whole universe. Mm. And then you think, well, could that really work? Because you're going massive, massive distances, right? But this is, this is fantastic. So he says, he speculates, what if we manufactured a microbial solar sail here on earth and decided to do this and we launched it with a rocket into near earth space and uh, it would be blown out of the solar system at approximately earth speed around the sun 30 kilometers a second so it would do let's say a light year every 10,000 years and it would be able to reach nearby stars in less than 50,000 years Mm. and Zubrin says the very point of this is some of these bacteria would survive that trip. Mm. So if we're talking 50,000 years, well, that's longer, you know, that's longer than that DNA message that I was talking about, the ghost DNA. Yeah, well, it's not long at all, really, in cosmic terms, is it? It really isn't. It really isn't. It really is. This episode, what you're talking about here, really does tie back to that thing we did on uh, microprobes going around the galaxy because there was a thing on there a, a rate of reproduction so these were technological microprobes that could reproduce and could be spread around the galaxy in a in you know a small number of light years um but what you seem to be talking about is almost an, or, an organic version of that yeah an organic Ma- maybe not reproducing but if you added reproduction into that as well then it would travel much wider afield, right? Yeah, that's true. And so I think the one way you were talking about it, there was kind of an assumption that they were uh, like nanomachines. Yeah, tech. They were tech. They were tech. Whereas this is a biological route, but it it seems a similar theory. The spread of it, I guess, is what I'm saying, could be equal to the microbes. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah, it could. And I think in that episode we said that, you know, within something like, I can't remember what it was, 50, whatever. It was a small number of light years those microprobes could reach all parts of the galaxy. Right, right, right. And a similar theory could apply to this, couldn't it? Yeah, it could. It could. I suppose the difference between this and that is that those probes, uh, we were talking about it in terms of sending messages back to you know, a master race or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. What we're talking about here is something encoded in the DNA, something for crypto uh, biologists to look into. Yeah. So um, it could be, you know, the en- Encyclopedia Galactica yeah. in there, just as we once sent a record up. Yeah. This could not be intended to cause any, any positive or negative thing, just to just say, this is who we are. And the difficulty, and this is the nub of it, when you start analysing these these genomes, whether they're from these BEs that are being collected in space or looking in our junk DNA, you have to look at the genetic sequencing and look for magic numbers. It isn't just enough to look for um, what it is doing to the code of the animal that possesses it. You know, he's saying in this article, you need to look for things like pi or anomalous traits that might represent a, uh, let's say, a constant or an equation which every life form would recognise. And when you find that, you then start realising that there was an intelligence that put that in there. So, so it's it's a deliberate act rather than uh, just a, a nature's way of traversing the galaxy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's it's um it's a postcard. It's not a. It's nothing else. But it's the way, it's a really clever way to send it because a single probe flying out through the universe, what chance does that Mm. have of finding alien life? But this is like like an aerosol gun being sprayed across the entire universe, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. He also makes this really good point about how life appeared on Earth about 3.8 billion years ago, and it was virtually immediately after the end of a heavy asteroidal and cometary bombardment phase in the inner solar system. And he says, well, look, life either evolves quickly and easily from chemistry as soon as it has a chance, 
All life was already floating around in space, ready to land and multiply as soon as conditions on Earth came livable. Yeah. My point about dropping the, the seeds on the country path. Yeah, exactly. And that is that is very much what he's, he's pointing out here, is like nobody has come to that conclusion because, and I didn't realise this, we have no evidence of pre-bacteria in Earth's fossil record. Mm-hmm. So... The conclusion that bacterial life must have arrived here from interstellar interstellar space has to be considered because if we can't find any evidence for what happened before, that suggests that bacteria were the first things to be here and bacteria is too complex to be the first stage of life. So what happened? Right, right. And actually your your analogy of it, it kind of waiting for conditions to be right... And your seed analogy it reminded me a bit of, you know, those forests where there's all those seeds under the ground, but they have to wait for a fire event. So the forest, you know, and it happens every what, yeah. 20, 30 years or whatever, there's a huge fire. And suddenly that's what get those gets those seeds going. The theory is quite similar, isn't it? That these things are there waiting for the conditions on Earth to be right. And then boom, they're off. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So the the question would then be is it just that there's an alien code that is the Encyclopedia Galactica or is did they artificially <laughs> make the bacteria? The suggestion from everybody is that the bacteria just happen mm. anyway. That was part of what was happening in the universe and an alien race might have just decided to kind of put a message in to say we're here too or they are the originating planet they've deliberately deliberately spread it and so the bacteria that arrived here came from an alien planet on purpose Mm. and is the building blocks of um the flora and fauna on their planet Mm. and we don't know either but it is suspected that it's more likely that there's a an innocent payload going along with it bit narcissistic though isn't it <laughs> yeah but we would probably do the same wouldn't yeah, we, we would, i mean yeah. we when we send messages out into space we send pictures of ourselves yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know probably the blue peter theme tune was on the the voyager i, I don't know what was on that record but um, there was some blues wasn't there there's that famous blues guy who's on there that's the only one i remember yeah and and, and, so, and some Aerosmith power ballads, <laughs> just in case you have to deflect an asteroid. <laughs> yeah. But the the idea that um, either in either of those cases, this tran- this panspermia thing seems much more like um, a potential avenue to understanding where life comes from. It doesn't obviously tell you where it originally came from, and we might have a surprising conclusion to that. You know, it might be that the perfect place for life to start is actually on a comet, and comets have to be mm. the cedars. That's possible. Yeah. Or, or the other one I was thinking of, you know, if we talk about life on Earth happening after the asteroid bombardment or whatever, it's if you had a civilization, even a, a, a not necessarily technologically advanced one, that and a planet got bombed, bombarded by asteroids that it could travel from there couldn't it you know what i mean rather yeah. than bit some big conspiracy theory it could literally be some asteroids hit a bioactive planet and they just got spread around the cosmos that's well so he makes that point so you can find meteorites from the moon mars and the main asteroid belt here on earth they do that does happen yeah so we would still need proof that this panspermia was created on purpose. Mm. It wasn't, and it was widespread. It wasn't just localised, mm. you know. We're not just picking up biological entities that say, you know, come in from Saturn and we did, we weren't aware of them. We're picking up something that is much more widespread. Mm. And that that can only happen when we start understanding what these things really are and if they really do exist. Mm. Mm. But you have to think, if that's the case, there should be... And I know there are theories, it's back to Mars again. You know, when we go to Mars and can explore it properly, 
Yeah, I know we're we're up there now with the rovers and stuff, but that's that's quite limited, and you, there's only a certain amount of square footage you can um, cover. But there should be traces of this stuff on Mars if that's how it works, shouldn't there? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why it's so intriguing to find the fossils. Yeah, it just hasn't any more got the environment that's needed. Yeah, or it it lands and nothing nothing gets no, activated. No, nothing gets done. activated. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And and he does make that sobering point, the final point of his article, um, because he answers that question. So what? What if it is a civilization that sent that DNA message? And he says, well, you know, very ancient and probably long gone. So this might be yeah. their last hurrah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, again, sounds like a sci-fi novel. Yeah, But by the time we're evolved enough to do this, yeah. you know, you know, don't know what happened. Maybe the sun is on its way out or... Or you know whatever it is. Well, we have got that that urge to do that because I'm always fascinated. I think it's in Scandinavia somewhere. There's that underground sealed store that has mm. all the seeds in. I can't remember. There's, I can't the remember the Doomsday that. Vault. That's it. The Doomsday Vault. So we have got a tendency to want to do that. It's not a huge leap to say if the planet was going to be destroyed, we might just throw some of that stuff out into space as an act of, you know, desperation and saying, well, something might stick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. But this, that, that, um, I'm not going to keep referencing, but that idea of strange objects seen in the sky and then an outbreak mm. is it, i don't i won't revisit that episode because we covered all the evidence that i had there but strange objects could be meteorites comets we discussed that mm. and we tend to think that scientists sort of could eventually work out where everything came from well maybe somebody somewhere knows where covid came from mm. but we're still arguing whether that came from a lab mm. or came out of bats and there, it's also behavioural as well. It doesn't mean, you know, like the virus thing. I always think of the town that danced itself to death and the spread of the dancing. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. the dancing plague, wasn't it? it yeah. And again, that was, it, there was some connection at least to some kind of UFO sightings around those areas. So, you know, it, it may be a bit of a leap, but yeah, it makes it makes some you could make a sci-fi-esque logical fictional argument even if it wasn't true, right? Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, the first thing we've got to do is build a collection device, start collecting this stuff in numbers, and then start gene sequencing it. And that is going to take money. Yeah. And balloons, which are not and very balloons. popular at the moment. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> well, um, But we, can I, we, yeah. are, we are talking... We are talking two separate concepts in a way, aren't we? I mean, I guess there could be crossover. We're talking about this idea that these viruses spread life of some kind yeah. that affect our DNA, and that could just be a natural process. The fact that some intelligent species has sent them with a coded message inside, that's, that's a very different proposition, isn't it? It is, it is. It's yeah. more of a leap. It's more of a leap. I suppose the the idea is that either we can find evidence of a code in newly acquired BEs or in our own junk DNA, which is billions of years old, and it's a message, or these things are transpermia and they're just the starters of life. Yeah, that is that is the two distinctions. Uh, and they might cross over. It might be both. And in your research of these this what do we call it? Is it ghost DNA? Is that what you describe? Um, well, junk junk DNA. Of junk humans, DNA. Yeah. So there is a. Was there any digging into whether that was just? Because I guess there's two ways you could look at it. Well, we did discuss it. Is it DNA that just hasn't been activated or is in use at the moment, or is it old DNA that we no longer use? I don't know how DNA works, so we, that could we, be a really ignorant know, conversation. At to this have. present time, we don't know what it's for. Right. Right. And we don't know why we carry it, except for it's very difficult to destroy, to my earlier point. You can't mm. you can't really take it out. You add to it, and then 
for some reason we only choose to use three percent of it but well i'm just thinking when we evolve is it like the residue that's left over we don't need it anymore because the yeah. next stage is better than the last one you that, know what i mean i, I have no knowledge that of is the, stuff that is the general assumption yes right, yes right, right. it's just um I suppose the the intriguing question why they're trying to uh, why those scientists are trying to look into that sequence is what was it what was it in there yeah. that was at one point good for something yeah why have we chosen to carry it around and what codes are living in there yeah, and that's yeah, why yeah. because it's so vast yeah yeah you have this this idea and then ah oh, well you know so you can put into your DNA. You can carry around the DNA of. Um, I think you can. You can tell via DNA if someone's had flu. I believe that's true. Right. Um, and then, so if if one of these um, bacteria infect you or viruses from out there, maybe you, that puts that DNA into you, and then you carry around the Britannica Galactica. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I, also I was thinking the Britannica Galactica idea, or the fact that this could be alien dna or dna that's not been activated yet and we don't know what it's for doesn't hurt with your chances of getting a bit of funding does it absolutely not no because because no. saying it could give us incredible information about how we've evolved and our long distant history is probably not as a sexy pitch as that other one <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. So I, I did, I did have a note here. So, um, so one tenth of the human genome is snippets of um, viral DNA left over from ancient infections. Right. So um, one that, tenth. That's quite a lot. Isn't it's, it? it's huge. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Was, all of us are part virus. <laughs> yeah. Wow. wow. So. That is, that's a lot more than I would have thought. So that's historical. It's not being used. That's right. So this is the example of we had this thing, we got over it, but the, the almost the trace of it, almost it's like a DNA fossil. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, it's archaeology yeah. using DNA. That's really, I suppose I should have said that earlier. Was, that is a better way of putting it. It's DNA archaeology. But, but it also makes you think about how flexible and how we think of biological things in in such a limited way because we've you know we've got the archaeology analogy we've almost got the analogy to be it being computer data or being able to hold messages or information it's quite intriguing when you think of it that way they're so it's quite expansive we think of things in such a technological way rather than a biological way we do, and I suppose that would then lead you to say, well, because they are technology and biology are sort of coming closer together, then perhaps other entities consider mm. there isn't too much of a difference, which is why you know mm. it's possible that we might have yeah. technological micro um, machines yeah. in our atmosphere and technological micro bacteria yeah, yeah. up there. We could have both could from have both, two different yeah. places. Yeah. yeah, or or intriguingly, a, a combination of the two, a kind of hybrid between the two. Yeah, but there is definite. There is um, uh, a sort of a spring of people coming forward saying that this is something we have to look into, and the noise seems to be getting louder. And with this uh, DNA sequencing of the junk part of us, and I know a lot of people are probably going to say, oh, a lot of scientists hate using junk. They like to call it dark or whatever. It's just it's become common parlance to call it junk. Mm. Understanding what's in there, the next bit is whether people will be um, not just brave enough, but brave enough to fund the research to look for cryptology in there to look for signs mm. that this hasn't been there's bits of it which don't make sense and appear to have been written <laughs> not in c++ but <laughs> have been put there by somebody that wants to communicate mm. if we found that there was a strand in there which seemed to illustrate pi perfectly mm. what conclusion could we draw mm. it would also i guess you could also follow a thread of uh simulated reality with that as well couldn't it it's all code <laughs> uh, i did go i did look into that the barrel of that gun and yeah. decided because we know so little about this yeah 
everything becomes speculation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we have collected these entities, people have photographed them, and the question is now what they are, where they came from, and what are they delivering. Yeah. My other thing is if they want to get some funding, try and think of something else but balloons. They're not very popular. Might hold you back. Maybe um, rockets. People love rockets. Yeah, rockets are right. They're fine. Yeah, we love a rocket. Yeah, rockets are right. Well, anyway, that is my... Wow. uh, You've taken us around the cosmos. I have taken around the cosmos. It made me feel very small and insignificant, but also it, it it did explain why quite often in alien encounters they're humanoid and yeah. there's so many different ways of coming up with that but yeah. i i reckon if you're taken by a ufo if you become abducted count the fingers yeah yeah and we don't you know actually maybe don't just count the fingers but count the toes and maybe get a skin sample <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't want much, do we, from you? <laughs> if you wouldn't mind doing that, thank you very much. Well, I like the way you've taken us to inner space and outer space, all in one episode. Thank you. Inner Space was the name of that film with Rick Moranis, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, was it Dennis Quaid? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I quite like that one. I, well, there was another one, wasn't there? What was it? The, there was that. Uh, there was one that was earlier, that was a something voyage, Fantastic Voyage. Oh, yeah. That was really good. That was. It probably wouldn't stand up to time now but i remember as a kid loving that film yes yeah yeah i remember that too yeah well little did little did we know yeah we'd be there well that was great ben thank you and i I, that i I think you did a good job of explaining something quite complicated in a way even i could understand that first bit of paper that you read and i lost it with the condoms um (laughs) we we recovered from there um if you like what we're doing uh, on this podcast, please tell people, like, subscribe, come follow us on Facebook or Twitter at TQM Podcast. Um, yeah, we're loving building a community. It's fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, please just tell a friend. It's what helps. Tell yeah, a friend. Indeed. We'll be back next week with some inner space, some outer space, and more quantum mechanic weirdness. We'll see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye. Are you the quantum mechanics?